Hey, you're listening to The Freedom You Show, where each week we explore the issues of sexual addiction and recovery so that in every area of your life, you can live free and you can live well. Welcome to the Freedom You Show. This is Kevin and Doug, and today we're going to talk about how we can stop the trauma train of sexual abuse in America. You know, it just seems that with the Harvey Weinsteins and the Kevin Spaceys and you know, all the other people who are coming out and sharing how they've been traumatized, and people are are you know trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And I think we've had a problem for a long, long time, and now it's just coming out into the surface and we're really seeing just how prominent this issue of sexual abuse and trauma and discrimination, depersonalization of, of women and men has become in our country. Well, speaking as someone who's been on the front lines of a dealing with sexual abuse and trauma for all of my professional career, I have to tell you, uh, the issue is much bigger than what most of us know. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, to use the metaphor of an iceberg is really true. I mean, the Spaceys and the Weinbergs, they represent, the, or, or maybe President Clinton or who else, represents the, the tip of the iceberg. Tiger but the Woods. iceberg is huge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the number of people whose lives are touched by sexual abuse is huge. You know, it's, it's not just the victims, but it's the families of the victims. It's the children of the victims. Uh, certainly, this has a lot to do with our our work around sexual addiction is too, because that's what feeds the pig of this abuse. But by all means, it's like, I think there's a moment in history for America when we might really tackle this problem and make a change. I never knew that we were going to stop smoking. I didn't, you know, I didn't know, you know, that we were really going to deal with racism. Not that we've really defeated it, but it is at bay. We pushed it back. I think this, this is the opportunity for the same thing to happen when it comes to sexual abuse. And the depersonalization of women in America, the discrimination that they face. Well, and I can certainly hear a lot of people in our audience saying it's about time. It is time. And, you know, it's one thing to talk about the problem. It's a whole other thing to actually do something about the problem. Uh, One of my employers in the past told me one time, he said, Kevin, you have an amazing grasp of the obvious. He says, you have a, you know, you have an amazing way of presenting the problem, but I'm paying you to come up with solutions. And hopefully today we can talk about some of the solutions to actually turning the tide of sexual trauma and discrimination and, and abuse of not only women, but men, of, of, of people. That's so true. I mean, we're definitely talking about both genders here. It's, yeah. it's not like men have cornered the market on exploitation and discrimination of others and abuse. That's, that's not the case at all. Uh, you know, here's, I've got to say something. Uh, much of my professional career has been addressed with people that are perpetrators, you know, that violate other people. They are the Weinsteins. They are the Tiger Woods. They are the Spaceys. Uh, but you know what? This issue is so pervasive. I think to really turn the tide, it's not going to be a matter of arresting the behavior of those few, those prominent few. But we have this is something that we have to look at from, from the level of, of children in preschool. I can pretty much guarantee you that a two-year-old in preschool – you know, isn't really depersonalizing and discriminating against women. So something in the in the way that we as families and as a society socializes our young boys corrupts them. 
and this is an issue for yeah. you know for all of us it, whether we're neighbors or we're parents or we're grandparents or we're teachers whatever our station in society we've got to do something different so what you're saying is these attitudes these behaviors are learned absolutely they're, they're not inherent in our being and some people just are going to grow up and you know they were created to be abusers absolutely you know they're they're taught this and they're modeled this lifestyle through different folk ways and mores of culture and the way that we just hang out together as guys exactly and what we celebrate and what we don't celebrate yeah like in in elementary school it starts let's talk about it yeah (laughs) i mean it starts early in life you know where the girls are chasing the guys and the guys want the girls to chase them and you know we're we're uh you know doing backflips off the the, the monkey bars to, to prove that we're the ones that are worthy to get the, the girl and, and we're all talking about what girls we want to get. Well, that, well there we, there we start getting to the issues. What does it mean to get them? Yeah. And what is it that we're going to get? Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, you know, when I was in junior high, it's like, you know, the question on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning is like, did, you know, what did you get? Did, did you, you get any? Did you get any? What does that mean? <laughs> well, it means, did you have sex? Did Were you able to manipulate a girl into having sex with you of some sort? Yeah, you know, that's... And that's it. the goal of the date. That's and that the is goal of hanging out. You know, you watch football with your friends. You, you play baseball with your friends. You... You, you may even go to movies with your friends and you may go to a movie with a girl, but the object is, is to get some, you know, when sexuality, it's not to hang out, when, cel- when sexuality is seen as, as a conquest. Exactly. You know, when it's something, when these are like notches on our belt, when it's something is, I mean, it's, it's really not that much difference. Like, you know, it's like, how many fish did you catch or did you get a buck this year? I mean, there's something about some type of conquest you know, that we, we apply to sexuality that it simply destroys, you know, respect and really seeing our females as, as being people. I mean, yeah. there's something so deep. We haven't used the word yet. Depersonalization, depersonalizing, you know, it's depersonalization that allows us to kill people, to hurt people, right. to harass people, to discriminate against people. And when we do that to a gender and when we, and when we allow it, and we are appreciate the problem and appreciate it. I mean, I, I, about remember, it. I mean, I remember, we are the problem. I remember growing up and loving James Bond. I love the James Bond movies when I was growing up, you know, because James Bond always killed the bad guy and justice always prevailed. And he always got the woman and several of them in the movie, you know, and he just went from one to the other to the other. And they were all trophies. And, and that was like, the way that you were raised, thinking being a man was a man. So we celebrate promiscuity. Right. We celebrate sexual conquest. You know, and, and basically we go to, we vote with our money and with our attention, with movies or media. You know something that's a pet peeve for me, Kevin? <laughs> uh, let me rephrase that. I, I, I want to say this. Hollywood is a major force in making our national psyche and our norms. They are a major force. Now, I don't want to yeah. overplay it, but I don't want to underplay it. You know, so the pet peeve is the opportunity that Hollywood has to stop this, to stop this discrimination, this exploitation of celebrating sexual conquest 
You know, it's like, it seems to me they have an amazing opportunity and it annoys me that they don't take it. Well, you know, there is that saying, sex sells and we buy it. I mean, we all buy it. I mean, women are buying clothing that, that, you know, promotes them as, you know, beautiful women. And well, I won't dispute it. I won't dispute. I won't dispute. We buy cars. We buy cars. If there's a beautiful model, I'll tell you what though. (laughs) I, I won't watch movies where there's rape. Yeah. I won't watch movies where there's sexual conflict. Well, see, now now you're talking. like I'm, Basically, we I'm, have to I'm draw speaking, a line in the uh, sand to say we are not going to be robots. This is an example. And, and, As consumers. And ingest. Right. I don't eat GMO food. You know, yeah. I, I, <laughs> We're I both getting really or, excited. I tend to eat organic. <laughs> I won't watch movies where there's sexual exploitation. I won't. Right, and see, that's... The problem that we have right now is most Americans just ingest whatever's fed them from Hollywood. And, and until we draw a line in the sand and then stay on the, the side of the sand that we're, you know, are coinciding with our beliefs and core values, Hollywood's going to run wild. But you know what? I, I, what do you think? Do you think people really connect the dots that when we celebrate illicit sex, when we celebrate, you know, exploitive sex, depersonalized sex... Uh, one by watching it, one by not saying, but by not speaking out against it, uh, that we are actually become part of the problem. We are part of the problem because in a lot of ways, when we see those sexual images and scenes in a movie or advertising or whatever it might be, it, our adrenaline gets going, our dopamine kicks in, our, our serotonin remembers, you know, what it, what it feels like. And, and it motivates us to want more. I mean, I mean, there's a reason why, you know, a nice story all of a sudden has to have a, a sex conquest scene in it. It's like we feel powerful somehow. We live vicariously in the character. Something's and wrong with that. It is. I mean, when we, you know, we use, clinically we use the word feed the pig. But when you feed the pig by vicariously in, indulging in a conquest or an exploitation of another person you know it's it's not that different from vicariously being jason Bourne and really kicking right. some serious ass right i mean violently yeah uh, something about that is off in us and when we celebrate it when we when yeah. we don't deal with our I'll, I'll make it a moral issue you know when we don't say no to that behavior within ourselves, then we are part of the problem too. Well, and the thing of it is, I mean, studies have shown that what we watch, we become. I mean, you know, it's only a matter of time. If we're going to, if, if we were to sit down and watch horror movies day and night, you know, for the next 10 years, eventually we're going to start acting out in those ways. You know, our thoughts are going to become our behavior at some point. It's and true. it's just a matter of time. I mean, like you, you've probably have done studies on this and you, you probably have experienced this in your years of therapy that a lot of the, the, the hardcore criminals, the, those who have done violent crimes probably were not only raised in violent families, but also watched and listened to violent kinds of things. Oh, sure. And part of their justification system for their behaviors is what they see happening in society and what they see tolerated in society. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, there's... You know what comes to mind, Kevin, just thinking about this. I can remember as a, as a kid listening to people brag about sexual exploitation, dominance, control, 
And, um, <laughs> you know, at some points being impressed, okay, be out of my own insecurity and my own sexual insecurity. Right. Uh, and then later as I matured, you know, not, not really approving, but not saying anything about it because I didn't want to risk the disapproval of the group of people that were there. And, and then as I matured more that I became vocal about, you know, that's just really wrong. I mean, that way of thinking is just off and, uh, I think we need to change the subject or uh, I'm going to change my geography. Well, and, and I think in a lot of ways, the Me Too campaign right now is changing the subject in a sense. You know, they're saying we're going to draw a line in the sand and we're not going to tolerate this anymore. I think, aren't like, you proud? Like, like, for example, the NFL has drawn a line in the sand against domestic violence and, and abuse. Like they're football players who are crossing that line and they're hitting their wife or their girlfriend the, the players and the owners are standing together and saying, we're not tolerating this anymore. We're not, this is not right. That is so we're not going to allow this to happen anymore. That is so You're good. not doing this on our watch anymore. We're, sta- so we're taking a stand. And, and see, the problem we have with the sexual issue is that, I mean, it's so ingrained in, in our need psyche, if you will, to like think that this is part of what makes us alive, like dominating you know, women, like as men. And, and I'm not saying only men do that, but primarily, you know, that's our culture here in America. It's a sad dynamic. You know what, if, if I lived in a perfect world or a utopia, if I got to, you know, be the zookeeper, if I got to design things, you know, we would celebrate the intimacy within sexuality. Now we're talking. You know, it's like, you know what, you know, on Sunday morning when those junior high schoolers get together and they say, did you get an ego? Oh, man, I got some. Yeah. I got to really share my heart with my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. You know, and she shared hers with me. You know, I, I let her know some of the fears and struggles I'm, I've been having, and she did the same. I felt so good about that process. I can't believe the emotional intimacy I mean, that, that's being generated between us. She is an amazing person. I can't wait till that's what teenagers brag about. You know, but, well, some, but, you know, we have to set a standard so they start to see that as even a value. Right. So if that's going to happen, then us as parents, grandparents, we need to get healed up and become whole and learn how to connect with people and be intimate and share our fears and insecurities. Now and, we're talking. And, you know, really be vulnerable. Now we're who talking. who we are. Like, because we're the ones that are going to model this to the next generations. Like, to think that, that we're going to see a change in the next generations without us affecting that change as leaders and as parents, as uh, role models, that's just ridiculous. Oh, you're so true. You know something, I, uh, I, I grew up in a family that came from a Southern culture. I didn't grow up in the South, but I grew up in a, in a the family that had a Southern culture. And I, I'll never forget a conversation I had with my father who, um, grew up in a very racist society in, in uh, Texas and in, uh, in Georgia. And uh, as he described his own exodus out of racism, you know, as he shared like how he used to behave, as he shared how racism was encouraged within his family from what, from his parents mm-hmm. and, and how he, you know, gradually saw what was wrong with that, gradually set some standards, gradually changed the man he was, how he treated people, what he would tolerate, it, you know, in conversations with other people and how basically how his life was transformed, removing himself from racism. 
and how his wish for me as a young man that I would, in a similar way, not carry that weight and not carry that darkness that racism represents. I'll never forget what my father had to say to me that day. And weren't you telling me the other day that, that your dad actually had an encounter uh, from being in, in the military and, and he just really had an encounter with, with God. He and, did. And as he began to, to understand the truth of God's heart and God's vision for people, he started to realize that what he had always believed throughout his whole life was not congruent with the heart of God. Absolutely true. Uh, you know, depersonalizing people is how it al- allows you to kill them, to enslave them, to exploit them. Yeah, I mean, so he realized at some point, I would imagine that God loves the whole world. I guess he he doesn't just love a certain it's, people group. Yeah, he it's, loves it's people. True. It's true. You know, and, and so with that, then, if God really loves every person, how can you depersonalize them? Exactly. If they're created in God's image. You know, I'm and thinking so right when now, it comes to the sexual yeah. trauma stuff, I mean, like, like in a lot of ways, it's, it's sort of like dehumanizing women to be able to tolerate them being traumatized. Exactly. And it's not talking about it, that it allows the dehumanization, the depersonalization to happen. You know, I'll, I'll never forget, uh, I read Steve Pinker's book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, I think it's called, that basically cataloged the, the, the steady re- reduction of violent death on the planet. And you know what he attributed primarily this to? It's interaction between people and people groups. Gutenberg and the, and the and literacy, and we started, hey, you know, those Italians, those French guys, they, you know, they, they love their wives just as much as I do. Maybe I don't want to kill them so much. <laughs> uh, I mean, just, just the reality that people are people and that they can be respected as people. And just that, that fact reduced violence and war, you know, tremendously and continues to do so. But I think it's the time for sexual exploitation and discrimination to be part of that. I agree. So in a sense, we all need an encounter. In a sense, we all need an encounter with God to see people through his eyes, to see women the way that God not only views them, but values them, to see um, children as the way God sees them and values them and protects them. And so, uh, and also to see ourselves the way God sees us. That's very good. And, you know, here's something that I, I know resonates with almost everybody. You know, every, every woman that you might be lusting towards or exploiting is someone's daughter. Yeah. Is someone's sister. You know, I've got a, I've got a mother. I've got a sister. I've got a daughter. I don't appreciate anybody exploiting my family. These people, these, this gender women, they are our family. And that's about as close as it gets for most of us. Who would want to exploit your own family? And who would tolerate the exploitation of our sisters, our mothers, our daughters? Because like all of our women in in America are one of our daughters, mothers, sisters, and need to be respected as such. Yeah, and unfortunately, pedophilia is a big issue, even within our family culture, you know. And, And so we've got to get even to the next level of saying, we're going to protect our family. You know, you were telling me uh, months and months ago about like how you would uh, work with uh, 
you know, people who uh, had committed rape or pedophilia and you would bring them into group counseling sessions and you would teach them about how to touch appropriately, about how to behave uh, with, you know, various elements of society sure. to to sort of change their their thinking around. Well, you got they have to be resocialized. You know, tell me more us, about that. Tell well, me how that works in well, in therapy. And okay. In, well, in typically, uh, I'll, I'll go back to preschool. Uh, that preschooler probably doesn't have a predisposition to rape anybody. Okay, that happens through social learning. Now, life. Tell happens, me more about the social learning that is going on that would bring that about. Well, I would I would say it this way: if I'm witnessing domestic violence. Ah. If if I watch my parents okay. watching exploitive sexuality mm-hmm. without protest, basically endorsing it, yep, I, I'm getting a message. In other words, kids don't do what you say; they do what you do. Yeah. If if I see other other and as I, as I mature, as I see other children celebrated for sexual exploitation yeah. and conquest, rather than punished. I mean, so I don't mean by the, I don't mean by adult, I don't mean by adults. I mean by their peers. Yeah, you know when that kind of behavior isn't shamed. Yeah, instead it's celebrated. That sets the tone, you know, for exploitation and wrong way sex to happen. Beyond that, if I don't have models of what healthy sexuality looks like and how it's expressed, if I don't see sexuality within the context of intimacy, respect, and trust, then I, I'm not connecting the dots very well. So in the middle of my impulsivity, I start to act out. If, if that is not somehow you know, impacted in a way that turns the corner quickly, it can become habitual because it is reinforcing. And as it becomes habitual, then people's, I'll, I'll call it their, just, we use the word justification system, but their defense mechanisms around what they're, be, what they're doing, they start to play with it and they start to make it okay. One of the ways they make it okay is by depersonalization and dehumanization. Mm-hmm. That's the main way they make it okay. Uh, when that when that process is celebrated of, of deviant thinking, and when there's role models for deviant thinking, it basically endorses and makes it all right for continued misbehavior to go. So to fix that, you, you go right back to the defense mechanisms, the deviant thinking processes, you know, and the and the and the things that dehumanize and depersonalize. You know what? Something that's very important in therapy, when the time's right, is is a, uh, uh, a, I'll call it a victim, but a victim confronts their perpetrator, and in the middle of that takes their power back, but at the same time, uh, the victim is really personalized because this is a real person that they t- that they hurt, and that process is very impactful for the perpetrator as well because it's they start to recognize the humanity of the person that they hurt and in the middle of that it's incredibly therapeutic for both but right now i'm thinking it from the perp's point of view it's like it helps them get well to recognize that this is a mother a sister a daughter that so learning I, that empathy I harmed. Exactly. empathy is a huge That's a great part way to say of this whole this, this is empathy process it's it's empathy training and and so really when we're talking about turning the tide you know stopping the train of trauma we're really talking about healthy relationships. We're talking about learning how to to live in healthy relationships with healthy communication, with healthy behaviors, living wholeheartedly. 
And, and that takes, you know, a lot of work in the trenches of, of working through conflicts, working through, uh, you know, differences and working through expectations, like learning how to have a relationship with each other where we're vulnerable and, and we're, we're, we're growing together and learning and, and appreciating each other, respecting each other, honoring. And, and so it really comes down to like, how are we building healthy families? You're on it. No, it's, <laughs> it's like really t- turning the tide around this is, is in many respects, it's largely a family issue. And then beyond that, we can't even have a healthy family environment unless we have healthy people. So we got to take care of our own. Somebody's got to start self care. You know, Somebody. we've got to get healthy and whole and begin to live wholeheartedly in our own personal lives before we can even have a healthy relationship. Exactly, because it's our own dysfunction and it's our, you know, our our need to to. Um, uh, you know, or or lack of feeling needed, valued, significant, all those things that keep us from having relationships because we're hiding, we're living in secrecy, and then the shame comes on us that we're not enough. We don't, we're not, never going to have enough. We're never going to have fulfillment, and so we start looking for artificial ways to make ourselves feel better, and that breaks down relationships even more because of the betrayal and the distrust and the dysfunction that comes out of all that, and so we end up separated, disconnected, and so really the whole, I think, one of the major things we've been talking about is really the individual taking responsibility to getting help for themselves to go from dis-ease living to wholehearted living of well-being, and then translated that into family life, relationships that are healthy and whole, that then affects our culture. Oh, I agree. You've got it, Kevin. That that really is a primary answer, is we have to shift personally and then collectively towards wellness and wholeness, which includes respect for others. And so with that, then, we all need an encounter if we're going to go to those next levels, because... You know, I'm stuck with in my own perspective of living, in my own experience of living. And unless I, like your your dad, have an encounter with a new truth, a new revelation, God, you know, it's going to be pretty hard for me to change the way I think, the way I behave, uh, the way I treat people, the way I treat myself, the way I look at the world around me. And so I guess in closing this podcast today, I would just like to release an impartation to everybody who's listening to have an encounter with God today and to to come into a place where you know that that um, you're called to live wholeheartedly in every sphere of your life, that that you have a, a right a God-given right to be honored and respected and loved. And you have a responsibility in that to honor, respect, and love. And if we can just start doing that one person at a time, then I think we could change the world. I agree, Kevin. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope to have you join us for our next podcast. Hey guys, it's Kevin here. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at freedomu.net for more resources and don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. 
Until next time, live free and live well.